All right, what's the definition of righteousness? Or inferiority. You are free from failure and any accusation as if sin had never existed. That's awesome. And then our other main text is James 5.16. James 5.16, who can say it? The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Who is that righteous man or woman? Me. We are! Praise God. Some, something came up over the weekend, and uh, it was one of those things that's just really discouraging news. Oh, this is discouraging. And I was sitting in the park, and I was just thinking, you know, if this is true, then the gospel's not true. Well, the gospel's true, so this is wrong. I have authority over this, so I need to change this. Hallelujah. And so, all right, so in the name of Jesus, this has got to turn around. Well, I mean, it was seemed true. Well, in the name of Jesus, it's got to turn around, and hours later, vanished. Gone. Hallelujah. I mean, it's just the way, it's just the way it works. It's, like, it's kind of like the movies, you know, right, the, right when Batman is all tied up and he's about to be lowered into the, the boiling oil, you know, slowly, and then the bad guy walks away and very slowly he's about to go into the oil. You know, he always gets out of his tool belt and he always gets out, right? There's a reason why good cinema and good stories ring true with lots of people because they, they're very close to the gospel. Lots of rescue stories, aren't there? Rescue stories are just something that kids love. Kids love rescue stories. Dad, tell me another rescue story. Well, the greatest rescue story in the world is God rescuing mankind, sending Jesus to earth to, to rescue us. We've been rescued. Hallelujah. Praise God. Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah 54. Well, we'll go to 53 first. There are five Gospels in the Bible. Isaiah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Isaiah is the Gospel in the Old Testament. Isaiah is such a clear, Isaiah had such a clear picture of Jesus. Something like I think it's 800 years before Christ is the approximate timeline. 800 years before Christ, Isaiah saw him. Isaiah saw him. Isaiah 53 should be all marked up in your Bible. How many of you have Isaiah 53 marked up in your Bible? It should be. Where does your Where does your mark start? Isaiah 53, three maybe. Well, let's start reading in verse one. Who has believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should, de we should desire him. In other words, some of the drawings that we have of Jesus, that's kind of a bodybuilder, sort of a, the contemporary drawings of Jesus are now Jesus with these great big arms and real big jaw, you know, good looking Jesus. Isaiah 53 says that there wasn't anything special about Jesus. He was easy to miss. He was just a face in the crowd. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of, the word there is sorrows in the King James, but what is another, that word is also translated pains. And, we, and acquainted with grief, elsewhere translated sickness. So as a man of, acquainted with pains and sickness, and we hid as it were our faces from him, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, elsewhere translated sicknesses or infirmities, and carried our sorrows, elsewhere translated pains and sicknesses. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes 
we are healed. There is no other event in history that this scripture could be pointing towards other than the crucifixion. This is pointing directly to Jesus. It is one, if you want to just take one fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy that Jesus fulfilled, here's, here's the one. I, and there's probably several that you could probably talk about that you'd just say, well, for sure, here it is. Well, this is one of those for sure, here it is. It just points so clearly to Jesus. Here it is. Here's healing in the cross. Healing in the atonement. Very important concept, healing in the atonement. Why is healing in the atonement an important concept? Uh, you, you might have gotten this in Christ the Healer. If you didn't, it's, it's all right. But it's an important concept because different understandings of Christianity will, will fight you in this. So you've got you to know the right answer here. Why is healing in the atonement important? It's not separate. You see, the same act accomplished our salvation. It's also the same act where our healing was bought and paid for. There are many groups trying to see healing as somehow separate from the, from the atonement. But how, how, do you, how do you separate healing from these texts right here? How, do, how does healing somehow not on the cross? Healing was sort of a side issue. It is not. Healing is part and parcel of the cross. Healing took place at the cross. Because then in Matthew 8, it says, and he healed them all that it might be fulfilled. He bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. So Matthew 8 said he was healing everybody to fulfill this scripture right here. In fulfillment of this scripture, he was healing everybody before the cross. And then in 1 Peter 2.24, it looks back and says, by his stripes you were healed, pointing back to the cross. So Isaiah, 800 years before the cross, sees the cross and says, that's where your healing is. That's where it is. Matthew 8 says Jesus arrives on the scene and begins healing everybody because the cross was coming. 1 Peter 2.24 says your healing is paid for because of the cross. Do you see that? how that all works? 800 years before, 80 days before, or... Several, several hundred days before, in the time of Christ, and then several years after the cross, Peter is talking about it. It's so clear, it's such a clear concept in the Bible that it was the cross where our healing was paid for. Don't ever kind of get healing as a, as a side issue. It's not central to the gospel. Nowhere did Jesus ever tell his disciples to preach the gospel without giving them the power to heal. You're supposed to preach the gospel. Everybody should get excited about evangelism. Get excited about evangelism. Get excited about evangelism. Come on, go, go. Tell everybody about Jesus. Every church wants to do that. But Jesus said, don't, you, don't leave Jerusalem without the power. You know, stay in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Jesus said, you, go, you wait here. Tarry here until the power comes. Then go. What did the church do? The church waited for the power to come. Pentecost came. The power came. Thousands were added that day and thousands more thereafter because of the power. The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. Get the power. Get the power. Believe in the power. Believe in it. It's part of your message. Signs follow what you preach. Signs follow the word. You preach the word and signs will follow. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name. What's the first thing they should do? Cast out devils. First thing, first thing, cast out every devil. That's the very first thing you should do. The least member of the body of Christ, the little toe on the body of Christ, 
has got Jesus under his feet. First thing, first thing, start off there. It was one of the first things that we did when we first became Christians is learn to start exercising our authority over the devil because we had we were having weird things happen. And so, you know, we we're like, you know, hey, come on, we need the big shots to come over and pray. And the big shots are always busy and stuff like that. And finally, a little shot came over and said, you guys can do it. Use the name of Jesus. We're like, we can do this? Yeah. And so we, you know, okay. And it was one of the best things that could ever happen is because that's what everybody needs to understand is that you've got authority. You don't need to get on the prayer line. You don't need to call everybody else. It won't hurt to call people. You can do it. It's important to give people that understanding that it's not, you know, and you flip your six guns and put them back in your holster and you walk off. Great. That was awesome what you did. No, it wasn't. It's what everybody can do. Everybody is a minister of the gospel. So Isaiah 53 is going on and on and on about the crucifixion. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. 1 Peter 2.24 All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. He opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shearers is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. Did Jesus say, Hey, wait a second, guys. This is unfair. Time out. You know, let me go. No. Because if he had, he had the power to get off the cross. But he did not. This also a good, this brings up a, a good sermon. Paul, when he was about to be scourged by the Roman legion, opened his mouth and said, Whoa! Hey! Roman citizen, guys! Hey, can't do it! Can't do it! Hey! No. Not for me. Paul got out of it. Jesus kept his mouth shut so that Paul could open his mouth. Follow me? In other words, we're not supposed to suffer with anything that Jesus has already suffered with. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, he opened not his mouth. Let's go to verse 8. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken for others. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Remember the rich man came and paid for him so that he could be buried in his tomb? Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The cross was God's plan all along. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. And by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This is the gospel. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isn't that beautiful? Totally the gospel. I'm setting something up here. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 53 is the cross. Isaiah 54 is the benefit, and it's the result. It's the payback. And let's just turn to verse 17 so you know why I'm reading this, why it's relevant to this class. Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and there, here's the word, righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. 
Their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. Your righteousness isn't of your good works. Your righteousness isn't of your good week. Your righteousness isn't shown by what the scale tells you in the morning. Your righteousness is from God. Hallelujah. Righteousness by faith. Righteousness by according to what happened in Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is the crucifixion which paid for your righteousness. All the benefits, and we'll start reading them, in Isaiah 54 are a result of you being declared righteous. <laughs> declared righteous. It's a little bit like being declared the winner, given the trophy, and now you get to go through the race. You're the winner. You win the race, and now we just rewind it, and then we come through and watch the rest of the show. You're declared the winner. Isaiah 54, let's start reading in verse 1. Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud. Thou, that's did, thou that did not travail with child. For more are the children of the desolate than the children of the married, says the Lord. I think I need to read this in um, NIV. Sing, O barren woman, you who have never borne a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent. This is getting good here. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out your tent curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Stretch out your stakes. Invest. Expect. Buy something new. For you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess the nations and settle in their desolate cities. In other words, expect to be blessed. Expect to be blessed. Expect for your ventures to work. Another, you know, expect God to bless you. Expect God to be working with you. It's not, you know, your, your business plans aren't going to be like the world's. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You won't be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord your Redeemer. To me, this is like the days of Noah, when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover the earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. Underline that. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. I know there's, there's times when that verse seems to be challenged. God, are you there? God, do you love me? My unfailing love for you will not be shaken. I'm here. I love you. Let's go. I had a favorite, just a really good Christian friend one time just say, just, I mean, by the Spirit of God practically, just said, I'm going to kick butt. <laughs> you know? But just that sort of like... God's with me. Let's go. 
And I mean, you know, in the right way and in the right context, I'm going to kick butt. <laughs> you know, come on. I mean, just in the right context, we're going we're gonna to just beat up the devil. We're just going to beat up the devil. We're just going to stomp on him and everything that he's tried to do. And we're just going to win. We're just going to win in everything. I mean, you know, for everything he's tried to do to us, just makes me want to just win all the more. We're going to win. We're going to win. I already won. I already won, so, uh, you know, I'm coming out in the fourth quarter. I'm going to come out ahead. And so, you know, it doesn't matter the second quarter. You, okay, or you, you sacked me five yards back, but <laughs> we're, going, we're throwing long on third. <laughs> we're throwing long. We're going to throw a bomb on third down. And on fourth down, we're going for it again. Praise God. 11. Oh, afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted. I will build you with stones of turquoise, your foundations with sapphires. Foundation of my house with stones of turquoise and foundations of sapphires. I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of sparkling jewels. And then all your walls of precious stones. Girls, if you're claiming jewelry, here you go. Come on. Hey, one time Gigi just got upset and just said, That's it, I'm claiming jewelry. <laughs> I mean, we were poor, we were in Oklahoma, we didn't have to squat, and she just started claiming jewelry. Just and ends up one thing happened after another, and I, I wasn't even really paying much attention to this, but I ended up doing an appraisal for a jeweler who says, listen, let me pay you in merchandise. And I'm like, yeah, we can work this out. And she ends up getting a diamond watch out of the deal. It was awesome. It was awesome. And she says, I've been claiming this. I've been claiming this. Glory to God. And, so, and I think she sewed some earrings, you know, to just you know, praise God. All your sons will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. That's a good scripture for the children's ministry. All your children will be taught by the Lord, and great will be your children's peace. Hallelujah. In righteousness, you will be established. Not in your own righteousness are you established, but God's righteousness has established you. Tyranny will be far from you. You will have nothing to fear. Terror will be Far removed. It will not come near you. Boy, there's a 9-11 verse, isn't it? Terror will be removed. It will not come near you. Why are we completely immune from terror? Because of fear? But yes, yeah. But I mean, here it is. Here's a covenant. We're in a covenant where God's promises are for us. And just saying, hey, a thousand may fall on one side and another side, but it will not come near your dwelling. Only you will look with your eye and see the recompense of the wicked. But it's not for you. Not for you. I mean, the news comes on and says, rah, 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 and you're going, you know, it's not, you're not talking about me. This is not, not my issue. It's worth praying for, for the, protect these bad guys so that we can get them saved, but not coming here. If anyone does attack you, it won't be my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to you. See, it is I who created the blacksmith who fans the coals into flame and forges a weapon fit for its work, and it is I who created the destroyer to work havoc. God is not the destroyer. The destroyer is a created being. No weapon forged against you will prevail, and you will refute every tongue that accuses you. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and this is their vindication from me, or their righteousness is of me, declares the Lord. So it, it, so NIV gives, you, gives this word vindication. King James says righteousness. So there, there is 
two shades of meaning here. Righteousness, vindication. 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 It means that you come out on top and everybody says, oops, sorry, you're the winner. Everybody apologizes to you, you're vindicated. Vindicated. Hey, may it look like you were down for a little while. That was just a little while. In the end, you'll be vindicated. <laughs> Better be nice to me. Better be nice to me, because in the end, I'm going to be vindicated. <laughs> in the end, I will be vindicated. Glory to God. So that's Isaiah 53 is the cross. Buying the blessing of Isaiah 54 for you and for me. I'll be vindicated. Wait till you see how it ends. It's only second quarter right now, and at the end of this game, I'm going to win. We fought. We esteem would mean we our perception, oh, what we thought oh. we esteem. We kind of we thought he was stricken of men and afflicted, but he was smitten of. It was God that did it. God. In other words, you know, people didn't understand the cross. The perception. The perception. Perception. Very good word. Yeah, we perceived it and as smitten of God and afflicted. Canyon was a, a very interesting man. He was way ahead of his time. He began preaching this message in the 30s and was all alone in, in preaching this message. Not really widely received. Kenneth Hagin read his works and a few others did and took off from there. Really, he is, his writings really become the, the foundation for Word of Faith, uh, an understanding of Word of Faith teaching and things like that. It was Kenyon was really the first guy to, for the light to turn on. And then it was uh, uh, Brother Hagin, Brother Copeland, or Roberts, people like that that really took this and popularized uh, the, this message. But not that it's, it's a unique message. It's just here's a guy with tremendous revelation in the Word. He's, he's, he's reading the Word and just it's coming alive to him off the page. And, and that's really what, what Kenyon does. And then Kenyon's writings, uh, most of them are taken from his radio addresses. And uh, he was preaching over the radio in the 30s, I believe. It's meaty. He just makes these incredible always and never and one-line statements. So you just read one line and go, wow. And you got to kind of chew on that one line. And you read the next sentence. And you got to chew on the next sentence for a while. Uh, he doesn't waste any words. And so it's wonderful reading. Uh, E.W. Kenyon, totally recommend it. We are his righteousness. Of all the wealth that is known to the human heart, there is nothing that equals this, that Jesus declares through the Apostle Paul that we are his righteousness. It's hard to grasp. We are his righteousness. How precious we must be to him. He once became our righteousness. He once declared us righteous by his resurrection from the dead. Now he goes beyond the declaration and makes that a reality. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, Him who knew no sin, he made to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We have become the righteousness of God in him. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who was made unto us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. Note these three blessed facts. He becomes our righteousness in Romans 3. He is made righteous for us, 1 Corinthians 1. We have become the righteousness of God in Him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus becomes our righteousness, is made righteous for us, and we become the righteousness of God in Him. You are the righteousness of God. Not just sort of a cleaned up version of you. Not just you just out of the shower with nice new clothes. 
God's righteousness. That's who you are. You have the very righteousness of God. That's perfect, holy, heaven righteousness. You're not going to be more righteous in heaven than you are right now. That's such a powerful statement. It takes away all the worminess. It takes away all the whininess out of your prayers. It puts you, hello God, it's me, kind of a standing, you know. Let us come boldly before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in a time of need. Don't ever wait five minutes and listen to the devil and kind of roll around in your head with your thinking before you go to prayer. Excuse me, God, it's me again. We need to talk. <laughs> Got a situation here. And he's like, well, what does my word say? Claim my word, stand on it, go back there in your authority and change some things. Yes, sir, that's right. And you go back out in God's authority and in God's righteousness. You see, it's that unsure of righteousness that makes us have to go tattle to God and get God to go do something about the devil. You're right? You know, I mean, it's that sort of second grader righteousness. Teacher! Teacher! Devil came in the classroom! Right? But if you have the, thing, the same authority as teacher, what do you do when the devil comes in the classroom? Out! Out! Same way the teacher would. Right? God's righteousness. The authority of the name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. You take that. You know, let him, let that little snake try to come in the door. <laughs> in the name of Jesus. You just, you deal with it. You're the one. You've got absolute total authority. Absolute total authority. And we don't have to go whining to God and try to get his attention and, you know, and pull his shirt and, you know, you know, come on, God, please look at this situation. He's paying attention. And he knows everything. And we come in there with his authority, with his righteousness. Complete the righteousness of God in Christ. No longer do I call you servants, but I call you friends. How do friends come over to the house? You know, they open the fridge. <laughs> they, they just they make themselves comfortable. You know, you know, like Kramer walking into Jerry Seinfeld's place. You know, <laughs> I just come boldly before the throne of grace. Just come right into the place. Right? What, and then I was thinking about this as I was meditating about the class today. What's the difference between the preacher and the people in the pews? There's kind of a cultivated perception that somehow he has the keys. Somehow he's fasted more than you. He's more righteous than you. God likes him better than you. And somehow... There's a special place. True? Not true. Point is, is that we all have the righteousness of God in Christ. What he might have, or she might have, is a boldness and a chin-out kind of stuff because they understand who they are in Christ. And the little stuff that the devil is knocking down the average Christian with and just saying, you know, hey, you can't pray because of you, you know, little, you know, those little pokey-wokeys that, you know, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. And it'll keep you down. It's so easy to believe that junk. And it's so important to throw it all away and pray with the righteousness of God in Christ. Puff out your chest a little bit and come boldly before the throne of grace. This is who you are. And this is why you're going to be bold ministers. This is why you're going to be bold prayers. This is why you're going to 
crooks and devil butt in your life because you understand who you are in Christ. And that does not change because of what kind of week you had. Your righteousness is of me, says the Lord. Do you see this? This is why you can keep coming back round after round. And in the 14th round, and the 15th round, you come out strong. You come out strong every time. And you just you just keep going. You just keep going. You keep going. And you're just and you're awesome. And you hit the top all the time. And you can come out screaming. You can come out praising God on the first song when you come to church. And you walk into church with a smile. And you walk into church ready to praise God. And you just, you know, you're just right up here all the time. Because that's how God sees you. That's where you are in the mind of God. Positional righteousness means that's where you sit. So we renew our mind to this kind of thinking and it transforms our walk. And so once you see yourself in that position, then you stop worming through life and you stop sliming through life and you stop being tempted with all the lower things of this world. And you say, I've got no time for that. And you live up here. And you stay up here. And it's just a perpetual cycle of victory. Yep. Amen? Okay. This is where we live. And this is where we go. And this is why you'll be successful ministers. This is why it's going to work. This is how it works. Because your righteousness is of God. Amen. Class is dismissed.